Welcome to Reading Mission, a live book club podcast where we read some of our favorite books about mission, justice, and social change together. My name is Mitch and with me is Emily. Hi there. We'd just like to respectfully acknowledge the traditional owners of the lands and waters of Australia and pay respects to elders both past and present. We recognize their continuing connection to land, culture, and water. So what are we reading tonight, Mitch? Tonight, Emily, we are rounding out our read-through of Naomi Reed's The Plum Tree in the Desert. We are diving into Chapter 9, Play Their Tune, and Chapter 10, Wherever We Are, and Naomi's final conclusions in Chapter 11. So in Chapter 9, we meet John and Sue, who developed a large music-based ministry in Pakistan, creating Christian music in local styles. They used their own gifts to find ways to speak to the hearts of people in their neighborhood on their terms, not expecting them to conform to the missionaries' own expectations of what engaging with the gospel should look like. And in chapter 10, we meet Tim and Rachel, who discovered that their passion for sharing their experience of Jesus with their Muslim neighbors doesn't end when they return to their home country of England. They help resource and equip local church members with knowledge and confidence to cross cultures next door and invite people into homes and communities for the long haul of discipleship. Two great chapters, plus Naomi's final reflections to round us out. But before we jump into that, Emily, but before we jump into that, Emily, what's your bright spot? Well, my bright spot, I've got a couple. So as you can see, Mitch, um, I've got a different background behind me. So I've moved house in the last, I don't know, what's been week and a half. I did it. So um, that was, yeah really fun and that's all going really well and another thing that i've got here i will show you because this is mm. very cool mm. wow wow what is that this is a beautiful piece of art um that was created by um one of my friends at church while we were doing through the sermon that was being preached so we were talking about hope because that's yeah. one of our church values and here we've got like the treasure, what do you treasure and the different things that are coming out. And it's just a really big, beautiful piece of artwork. Um, so Kylie gifted it to me and uh, it will be going on the wall at the stairs in our, in my new place. So that's going to be very cool. And yeah, I loved it because it reminded me of like the treasure of heaven. Um, yeah. And then the story, like the parable like do not worry so king solomon and all his finery doesn't compare to the lilies yes, um, yes. and if the if the um lord loves you more than that like he'll care for you kind of thing and lots of yeah. different things and we've got like the kingdom and the city and the light and the dark and it's pretty yeah. spectacular some stunning colors that's fabulous yeah. you'll need to put a photo of that in the discord for people i will along. i will it's very cool i don't have that a photo yet but i'll get one fabulous one. it's yeah. very cool no that's brilliant yeah she's so that's a fantastic job she's, there. yeah yeah it's very cool she's a very talented artist that's awesome that's so cool oh that's so, a good bright spot i know i know so that's been sitting there so we just got to get some hooks and stuff and hang it up but yeah um yeah what about you what's been your bright spot oh nothing quite so exciting <laughs> as that but um you and I separately both had some some time off recently to recover from Safe Water September, which is brilliant. And for me, that meant uh, had a chance to catch up on some movies and TV. So, oh, what have you I been watching? Worked my way, I worked my way through the Predator film series uh, okay. because I really wanted to. I, I not so much your thing. I saw that little <laughs> that shrug, <laughs> uh, but I really, really wanted to watch Prey, which has been out for a while. But I really, I've heard, I heard great things. I really wanted. Yeah, I'm very, very devout Christian. You know me, so I'm all any film that comes out with the title Prey. But I decided that I would torture myself, and rather than just jumping into the good film, um, I would watch the uh, four other films in the Ooh. franchise, just the direct ones. I, did, I skipped Alien vs. Predator and the, spin, and the sequels to that. Um, but there is a wild variety of quality of movie in that franchise. But if you are one of our... Uh, more mature listeners uh i think legally i would have to say uh at least 15 consult the ratings on each movie and probably you your parents it. as well because you know they probably know best. absolutely yeah um but there are some wildly entertaining movies in that franchise for those of us who are old enough and confident enough with the the action and the violence um but pray at the end 
very good film. Again, very violent. Watch the content warnings. Take them seriously, but very good movie. So what? So TV yeah, that was my time off. I I also dived into Andor, the new Star Wars series oh, okay. um, on Disney Plus. Really, two two complete misses for you there, wasn't yeah, it? Yeah, really? like, sorry, we're just not on the same normally, wavelength. Normally, you like give me good racks, but unfortunately, I'm not. <laughs> I watched I watched Obi Wan Kenobi. No, what was it? Kenobi. Kenobi. It was Kenobi. Uh, I think it was Obi Wan. Obi Wan. It was Obi Wan. I was like, I can't yeah. remember what it was called. But I kind of watched it. It was like, oh, yeah. it's kind of forgettable. So anything else? Yeah. I don't think I'll be watching anymore. Well, the that's series. the thing. There, there's been a few misses recently. Yeah. I, I haven't fully caught up, but just from the just from the discourse, there's been a few misses recently. But Andor is not one of them. Andor Ooh, okay. has been fantastic. So if you like spy stories, if you like Star Wars, um. Again, if you're a little bit uh, one of our more mature listeners, uh, it's not an early high school series. It's a late high school series. and um, But yeah, definitely a good series to check out if you're interested, if you're into that sort of thing. Before we go any further, I'm just going to open a window in here because I am hot. It has been very warm. We're finally getting into summer in Melbourne. Oh, yeah. I saw like Cup Day was wildly like... Miserable. So miserable. I was like, that sucks for everyone who's going to the cup. Yeah, absolutely. (laughs) Famously not a um not a wet weather event. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Yes. Uh yeah. So let's jump in. On that note, we should probably jump into On that note. Let's have a look. And we're gonna start tonight with uh chapter nine of the plum tree in the desert, which is Play their tune. So we're about to meet John and Sue, who were InterServe partners working in um, Pakistan for quite a while. Um, And like all people, they had a bit of a journey to get where they were going in um, finding themselves in ministry in Pakistan. Um, But for us tonight, I think the thing that really stands out to me from this chapter is just the the way that they use their gifts in really culturally culturally informed and culturally relevant ways. Um, we're going to pick up their story after um, all of their ministry training and after John and Sue have met and gotten married. So if you're reading along at home, we're starting on page 109. Quote, Tying the knot nice and tight, they were married in three different weddings, in the Punjab, in the States, and in the Sindh. After this, John and Sue moved to, Sindh, uh, moved to the Sindh to start running a boarding school for tribal Hindu boys whose families had become believers. John didn't expect to love the work, but he found that he did. There were so many opportunities to feed into the boys' lives and grow them in their faith, and very early on he began to teach them music. As he told me that last bit, his eyes lit up. I think that any gifts you have, God uses, explained John. If I'd been a basketball player, the hostel boys would have learned to play basketball, but I was a musician and they learnt music. John explained that his family had always been musical. In the evenings in Pakistan, they would often sing together in rounds or John would sing duets with Mike, who had a booming voice. When John was at Murray Christian School, he learned the violin up to seventh grade, at which point his teacher left, so he switched to piano. He found that he could play by ear, which, side note, jerk. How dare he be talented. Oh, as someone who played music but has to work really hard at it, people who can play yeah. by ear, I am just in absolute awe of. It's the worst. Oh, <laughs> no, it's incredible. So impressed. Yes, that's the kind of skill I aspire to. Yeah. Quote, but my best preparation was in India. I loved that year, he said, smiling. That's where I learned the local rags and was surrounded by music and culture and the very best music teachers. Another side note, I apologize for the pronunciation. I'm almost certainly butchering it. Quote, we didn't have much. uh, We don't have that in Pakistan. The people in Pakistan love music and it's playing all the time, but they can't teach in the same way. So in India, I learned everything I could from the very best teachers. At that point in the story, I, Naomi, was fascinated, but I didn't know what he was talking about, mainly because I didn't know what a rag was. 
So John went to another room and brought out his hand-pumped harmonium and sat down in the cosy living room floor. He began to play and sing, showing me five notes and explaining that a rag is a set of notes and occasional musical flourishes. Every time a tune is created using those same notes and flourishes, it's part of that rag will be recognized immediately by musicians as being composed in that particular rag. There's no equivalent in Western music. I knew I wasn't musical enough to say anything clever at that point, except that I loved how it sounded. It reminded me of our bus journeys through Andhra Pradesh, with Hindi music blaring from the speakers. We have this misunderstanding in mission that if you just love the people in another culture, it will be enough, said John. But we need to speak to their hearts in ways that they respond to. And in Pakistan, that's through music. It's their heart language. Living in the village for a year helped me to see how much they use music and dance in everything, in every ritual. And you can say things through music that you can't normally say in Pakistan. For example, if you said, leave your idols, they would kick you out of the village. But if you say it in song written in their style, it touches their hearts and they are willing to listen. Composing indigenous music began for John at the hostel. The first year that John and Sue lived there, the hostel boys told John that they normally performed a Christian drama at the end of each year. John tried to find and play a good, sorry, John tried to find a play and good songs in Urdu, but he couldn't find any that he liked. I could write a better drama than that, he thought. So he wrote a three-hour Christian drama. Sorry. So he wrote a three-hour Christmas drama, and then for the first time tried his hands at composing songs for the drama in the indigenous style, using what he had learnt during his brief time in India. The boys in the families loved it. After that, John kept on writing and composing. He teamed up with a local Christian Pakistani musician named Samson, who had a, vi- who had a vision for using Sindhi who had a vision for using Sindhi cultural music and art forms in outreach. Together, they composed and wrote lyrics that taught Bible stories, as well as dealt with issues of life, death, and marriage, often using antiphonal response style. Having been to weddings in India and Nepal, I could imagine the opportunity, and I assumed that John and Samson would have begun at weddings. That's where people could really enjoy their music, harmoniums, drums, and cymbals, with everyone singing and dancing in their best shalwa gamis. Actually, we started with funerals, said John. That's when people are thinking about the meaning of life and whether there's a heaven and how you get there. The people are often, the people are very open at funerals. John explained to me that it is easy as missionaries to do things the way we've always done them in our home countries because it worked there. So often we try to mold people to become like us rather than wanting to become like the people we're reaching out to. This puts up unnecessary barriers, resulting in people rejecting our message. Those who do accept worshipping in a foreign way are usually ineffective at reaching their own people. It was John's father, Frederick, who after becoming frustrated that the typical preaching method wasn't working well in reaching the tribal peoples, began to research how the local cultures communicate spiritual truths in their own religion and culture. And we'll leave it there. But I think that's a really interesting story with heaps to unpack but what stood out to you in there Emily I really like like just the general idea of actually no it was the bit where he's talking about the heart language of Mm. the Pakistani people being through music um Mm. and I guess that's kind of that place of what speaks to you deep within that's not necessarily like an intellectual experience um And, yeah, I just really liked that and going, yeah, so how do how do it, thinking about what does it look like to connect with people on a deeper level than just maybe verbally or what, what speaks to people in a way that might be different than what um, I guess I'd be aware of or think of to do or different things. Um, and just, yeah, the use of music and the arts is awesome. I am... Mm. I'm a lover of theatre. We know this. This is not yeah. new information. Um, so just using the arts in a way that is local and engaging is really beautiful and special um, because, yeah, the arts can do things that intellect alone cannot do and will never mm. be able to do. Um, yeah. 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 
yeah, look, I think we, we, we have an understanding of that um, in our churches. Like most churches that I've been to have musical worship as like a core part of their expression of what it means to be church. Um, and in fact, I can't think of a church that doesn't. I know they exist, but, you know, we, we, have, we have an understanding of how that works. Um, and, yeah, I think it's just a really good um, lesson or encouragement. I, it feels trite to reduce it to that. But, you know, a, an encouragement to be really mindful whenever we're doing mission whenever we're doing ministry to be considering you know the the receiver and sort of what is the best way to talk to people what is the best way to connect with people Mm. um i think that's you know that's a big part of the reason we we talked about this a bit in um Ba, 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 when we were doing make no make poverty when helping hurts no oh. when helping hurts <laughs> you you were, you were right you were right my brain was wrong um, <laughs> your brain was slower than how I spoke <laughs> my brain was slower than yeah, yeah my mouth and uh, slower than you um, but around the, the the idea of mech development of this idea of there's mm. there's this um, there's one imagined ideal yeah yeah, of there being one right way of doing development or one right way of doing mission or one Mm. right way of doing ministry when i think history and honestly just a casual glance around the world um would kind of point you towards actually there's as many right ways of doing things as there are people kind of Mm. thing like every because every person is different there's going to be different ways of best connecting with each and every individual person. And it also Um, becomes a more holistic expression and experience of engaging mm. with the gospel, with Jesus, because, like, while the Bible is great, big fan of the Bible. Big fans. Um, Big fans of the Bible. (laughs) But I think if you just get given it, it could be quite... Mm an intellectual heady activity and mm. not necessarily, I mean, once again, make development depends on the person or the group, Exactly. but that's exactly. not necessarily going to be something that connects in a easy, simple, meaningful way. And it's not that music is simple in any way, because it's generally the simpler it sounds, <laughs> the more complex it probably is. Cause it's probably got lots of interesting things going on um, to make it sound like that. But, Yeah, it just hmm. it's a it's a different way of engaging with the same things that we don't often maybe give as much priority to in our hmm. I don't know evangelical evangelism. Hmm. Yeah, absolutely. I loved the bits um, towards the end of the passage we read of um, John saying, you know, we we sometimes go at these things um, assuming that. You know, we, we want to just do the things that we're familiar with. Like, you mm. know, our, our church experience is... The church Sunday experience. 10 a.m. Yeah, Sunday 10 a.m., two songs followed by announcements, followed by communion, followed by another song into the sermon. Uh, maybe a song to finish, depending on if we've got time, and then we'll it all do... Depends on how long the communion ceremony went. Coffee and cake went. in the... Exactly. <laughs> and then we'll all do coffee and cake in the foyer afterwards. You know, that that's our experience of church, and that's... I, I, ideally, an experience that we've loved and we've found flourishing and found really you know, incredible that we want to share with people, ideally. Um, going into that emission context and going, well, you guys will love this. Have you heard? Have you heard? Oh, of have sitting- you heard of a three song sandwich? Oh, it will blow <laughs> you your are mind. Love it. Oh, and if you get the transitions, it is mint. <laughs> but if you can't get the transitions, just get someone to talk and pray for a little bit, and then we'll yeah. jump into the next song. Yeah. Yeah. But just we yeah. don't play just the resolving prayer. chords until the last song because we want to leave everyone hanging. <laughs> Can't play that one chord. That's a music joke for anyone out there. Chord structures and stuff. Um, but yeah, I, I think the the lesson from from John's experience of 
if there are there people that we really want to that we feel compelled to connect with and to build relationships with and you know be in and amongst we have to be prepared to learn from them mm. and take on stuff from but isn't their it, it's also their just expectations like, as well yeah human decency and giving people like the dignity 100%. and respect of like you've got something valuable that is important to you yeah and without trying to like i guess it's also like trying to not whitewash it or like capitalize so on it. Yeah. Yeah. But going had it. on one level, this is um taking off your shoes in someone's house. Yes. My house you know, my my fam my house growing up and my house now, it is a shoes on house. Um but there are lots of, you know, first thing I do when I go to a new house is just like, do they have a bunch of shoes sitting around the front door? If they do, shoes come straight off. Not how I do shoes things at home. House. Shoes off house. Exactly. Not how I th- do things at home, but just totally not equipped. Like I'm in someone else's space. I'm in others, someone else's cultural space, someone else's historical mm. space. I'm, gonna, I'm following their lead on stuff. Um, so there's that side of things. There is a tension around um, the sense of, you know, appropriating stuff for your own benefit. Mm. Um, yeah, look. That's a whole. Gets a little. It gets a little muddy, and I don't. I don't want to downplay that because no. that is actually really. That is a really important. I just. I don't feel fully equipped to Have really that tease that out. Yes. Yeah. You no, know, in, in a way that I'd be satisfied with. Yes. Um, there is a there is a question there. Um, but in this context, presumably, but, it's not for that. It's to actually engage with community and. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. I I would say that's that's probably one of the key things and just how embedded John, you know, we we skipped over the opening stuff, but like John has been in this culture for his whole life just about decades kind of thing, you know. We we're, we're not we're not we're not talking about a musician who goes, "You know what I've just discovered? Hindi music. No one's <laughs> thought of this before." Paul but Simon, I can <laughs> Graceland. Such an album. Um, <laughs> we, we recently watched um, the rom com music and lyrics. Um, oh, with um, bit of a bit of a throw. Hugh, Hugh Grant and with Hugh Grant and oh, who's the girl? Is it Drew? Is it Anne Hathaway? It, no, Drew Barrymore. No, Drew Barrymore. I think. Uh, now I'm googling it. Please lyrics. do. 2007 that. film. Um, where is it? Drew Barrymore. Oh, yes. Hugh, I've seen, Hugh Grant and Drew Barrymore. I can't believe I, that's in my brain. That's wild that that's in my brain. I've seen that movie once and vaguely Amazing. remember it's it. It actually, actually really holds up. Um, that has a musician that has very deeply, deeply uncomfortable appropriative vibes. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I would point people towards um, Mark Yedika Paulson has no, is that who I'm thinking of? What are you trying to? Um, no. Yes, 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 yes. Mark Yedika Paulson's intercultural relating framework. Um, so if you Google um, Mark Yedika Paulson, Mark, M-A-R-K, Yedika Paulson, Y-E-T-T-I-C-A hyphen Paulson, P-A-U-L-S-O-N. Um, he has this concept called uh, around inter- working interculturally. Emily, you'd have seen this from Nick yes. White at yes. GMP. Yes, I IMA remember this team. now that I'm looking at it, yeah. I just wasn't 100% sure I was thinking of the right mark. Um, but this, this fantastic idea of um, how two culture cultures come together and relates together and identifies different spaces and acknowledges Mm. that there are different spaces along that journey. Some of those spaces are spaces of cultural exchange where um, people can learn from each other, cultures can mix and enrich one another, and some places are um, separated from each other. Mm. Those are places of deep 
knowledge and deep understanding of those cultures that actually outsiders are not welcome. Um, and that's not a bad thing. Um, you know, those, those are the spaces where, you know, the important stories are handed on and we learn the, the core things of what it is to be in that culture. Mm. Long road for a short drink of water, which is um, in mission, inhabiting those spaces of cultural exchange is, is actually really important and um, not going in going, ours is the correct and best way of doing things. Yes. But acknowledging I am in this space, I am bringing a whole bunch of culture with me and I would love mm. to offer you the parts of it that but the you great think are thing valuable is, and yes. vice versa. John using his gifts in a way that was mm. Um, mm. like what he actually had, so the things he had in his hand, being a music musician, growing up in sort of like that region, all of that stuff. Um, means that he's got something to offer in this space that mm. you, uh, yes. you otherwise wouldn't yes. have had. As he says, as he says, it's if yeah. I was a basketballer, yeah. the boys would have learnt basketball, but I was a muso, so they learnt music. Um, Which is such a lovely, astute a, observation. It's such a good observation and such a healthy thing to sort of recognise. Yes. You know, yeah. You know, I'm, I'm, a, I'm a big advocate of use what you have, use what you're good at. Um, so, yeah. And and kind of don't you don't need to be worried about that. Like mm. one of the things I kind of do all the time at youth group is pull out the board games and the card games because they're things that I really enjoy. Yeah. Um. And you know I also try to be conscious and we're making sure that we've got activities and spaces for kids who don't enjoy that. But you know the 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 spaces that are the most life giving are the spaces that I'm the most passionate about and I'm the most excited to be in um, a lot of the time. So, yeah. yeah. Long way of saying, lean into the things that you've got to lean yeah. into the things you're passionate about. Absolutely. Sorry, I completely no, derailed you there. That's fine. Um, I feel like that's a good, I don't know, segue into the next chapter, chapter 10 probably. I feel like we're yeah. hitting that time of the day. Yeah, wherever we are, I think that actually feeds in quite nicely to that because while that chapter was about um, – what we have and who you are and the mm. things you're good at. This chapter is wherever you are, you're on mission. Um, and that's the yes. story of Tim and Rachel. So Tim and Rachel were um, UK born missionaries um, who um, spent a lot of time again in Pakistan. Um, they'd also spent uh they also spent time elsewhere, mm. um, but sort of Pakistan was the place that they became really embedded um, and really felt like it was the place that they were supposed to be, that they needed to be, where they had opportunities to um, connect with. Um, their, I think feels like they have a particular heart for um, Muslim people mm. um, or maybe that just emerged once they got back to the UK. Um, but... They eventually returned back to the UK, um, which, you know, from the sounds of what Naomi is describing is kind of part of the rhythms of people working with InterServe, which I think is really, really healthy, making mm. sure that people are able to take breaks. Uh, I mean, the life of missionary, I'm, say, I'm speculating, but just must be so full on in the sense of just you're kind of always on. Mm. Um, but, yeah. So returning to the UK for a um, for a time. And I get the sense from the way Naomi tells the story that they weren't super excited about that um, and weren't super keen to return to their, their passport country. Um, they wanted to stay. They wanted to be where they felt they needed to be. Mm. Um, but we're going to pick up um, after the, like as they arrive home in the UK on page 127. Uh, if you're reading along at home, right at the top. In 2005, the family arrived in the UK and moved into their pretty white house in Oxford near the Headington shops. I'm going to butcher these pronunciations just as much as uh, it's the good Hindi to see words. it's uh, the English ones as well. <laughs> 
They put Pakistani carpets on the floor and camel cushions on the seats. They prayed about what they should do next. Tim had already been asked by an Oxford church whether he would take on an official role in reaching the Muslims in their community. Tim said no. He was very much in favour of reaching out to Muslim people, but instead of doing this on behalf of the church, he wanted to train church members to reach out themselves. While Tim and Rachel had been living overseas, the numbers of Muslims in Great Britain had doubled due to a combined effects of immigration, increases in international student intake, and a high birth rate. By 2005, when Tim and Rachel returned to Oxford, the number of Muslims in Britain was nearing 3 million. Even within Oxford itself, there was a remarkable variety of Muslim people. One Christian man who ran a bookstall in the shopping centre said that he frequently met Muslims from Saudi Arabia, Iran and Libya. Such people would be so hard to reach in their own countries, but here in Britain, they were stopping at the bookstall and asking for scriptures in their own language or for the Jesus film. Perhaps there was an increase in curiosity as a direct result of being in a new country without restrictions on religion. It was clear to Tim and Rachel that God was mixing up the nations as never before. At Oxford Brookes University, there were 128 nationalities represented, and that included students from every Muslim nation. Thousands of Christians in Britain now had a Muslim neighbour or work colleague. It was very exciting. All those thousands of Christians didn't need a passport to connect with their Muslim neighbours, or even need to learn a foreign language. They could just be their friends. Tim, excited by the possibilities and keen to equip and enable Western Christians, thought about the best way to be involved. If he took on the church role, he could possibly develop relationships himself with up to 30 Muslims in the community. And what then? What about the 3 million Muslims in Britain? Who would reach them? Tim longed to show people that reaching the nations no longer meant only the unreached nations in far-flung places, but also meant reaching the unreached nations on their doorstep, whether it be in Oxford, New York, Sydney, Amsterdam, or Vancouver. Tim knew there was still an important role in sending Christians overseas to unreached people groups and supporting them through prayer, finance, and pastoral care. But right in front of him, in his community and workplace, there were people from many countries and languages, people for whom Christ died, people for whom God loves, but many of them had never once heard the gospel or entered the home of a Christian. Tim decided he had to equip ordinary Christians to reach their Muslim neighbours. While he was thinking and praying about the next step, he met one other person named Gordon, who was also interested in equipping local Christians to meet their, reach their Muslim neighbours. The two of them invited Christians from across the churches to join them for early morning prayer once a week to seek God for the next steps. We had a blank page, said Tim. When you start with no structure, it can be liberating. When you have no structure, you don't begin by asking God for a budget or staff. You just say, Lord, how do you want to use us? It was the best way to start. Over time, God gathered a group around Tim, Rachel and Gordon, giving them a vision with five main aims. Firstly, they wanted to pray for Muslim people in Oxford and worldwide. Then they wanted to equip ordinary Christians to reach out to their Muslim neighbours. Thirdly, they wanted to help believers from a Muslim background to grow strong in Christ. On top of that, they wanted to respond at an academic level to Islam in Oxford. And lastly, they wanted to help the churches to send Christians to the Muslim world. They were good aims. The initiative took the name Mahaba, meaning love in Arabic. But it was determined from the start not to become an agency fulfilling these aims on behalf of the church. Rather, they wanted to help the churches to fulfill those aims themselves. Ordinary Christians, not mission experts, would be at the forefront, so they would need training. The team began by developing the Friendship First program. It was a six-week interactive course to help ordinary Christians understand, love, and share Christ with their Muslim friends and neighbours. Partly in response to an observation that many churchgoers held a fear of Muslims, Tim wanted to break down some of those barriers and assumptions. So instead of beginning with an expert's guide to Islam as a religion, the term me. The team talked about how to make Muslim friends and how to love them. They described the values underlying Muslim culture and how that affected friendship. In the middle week, there was also a mosque visit, and there were assignments and real-life stories throughout. Tim and the team ran the course five times and then filmed it in 2010 to make the resource available at a wider level. So far, more than 2,500 people have used the course, including in other English-speaking countries. I'm going to leave it there. That's a pretty cool story. And I think the, I mean, 
the thing that really jumped out to me from that is just that sense of, I think as you touched on earlier, Emily, that mission doesn't end when you quote unquote get home or, you know, in your own neighborhood or in your own We can't use that as a origin. cop out. Mission is here as much as it is anywhere else. <laughs> yeah, that's right. That's absolutely right. What was it that, uh, was there anything in particular that jumped out to you from that reading? Um, I think it's a few things. It's just the structure of it and they go, okay, we've got a heart for people like this. We know how to interact with people. Um, and yeah. Tim's initial reaction to, I don't want to be like a reach the Muslims pastor because it shouldn't mm. be me doing it. It needs to be the whole church if this is something the church is mm. passionate about. Um, I think mm. that's really important. Um, and then yeah. – Later on when they're talking about, you know, it's not about it wasn't about praying for budgets and staff and all of that. It's just going, God, where are you using us? Because that's something we can all pray, right? Like it doesn't have to be. Yeah. It, it And then it, from there it grows. So it's not the questions of your traditional markers of, I guess, bums, bucks, baptisms, but other things mm. about where's God moving and I don't know, whatever those mm. goals in that kind of space are to see people come to know Jesus um, in like in a discipleship relationship. Um, And then from there, whatever forms out of that is where that goes from there. Yeah. Yeah. It, it really made me think a bit about, um, about us at embodied, like apologize for now digressing to, to talk about ourselves as opposed to just the book, but you know, this, this vision of, um, making sure that the the church is equipped and that young people are equipped to engage in mission and justice work. Like that's kind of at the heart of what you and I are doing, Emily, mm. what the Embody team is about, uh, what GMP is really passionate about as well. Um, actually, like really from from the top down of GMP, like we're, mm. we're not about doing stuff for, we're about doing stuff with, mm. being alongside, encouraging. And, you know, um, I think uh, you you currently work in church ministry, Emily. You you would experience every day the um, the tension between you know I'm the minister, it's my job, and I'm the minister, it's my job to help you do it, kind of thing. Like that's that's a real and constant thing. Exactly, it's easier if I just do it. And as a um, chronic, you know perfectionist among other things um i have historically and still always do fall into that same trap of going i'll just i'll just do it but actually like what we're about and what we want to be encouraging in all of you listening um in the church around australia and beyond is that that real sense of this is all of our job together Mm. this is something that we're all involved with um you know we are all part of making this happen of bringing justice and flourishing Mm. and love and the you know the good news of jesus to every corner of the world Mm. um you know out of that overflow of what we've experienced ourselves we are all part of doing that Mm. and we are all we are all capable and there's things that we can do. And, you know, yeah, I, I get really excited about opportunities that, um, you know, we contribute to in small ways or in big ways for people to do that. Um, mm. Safe Water September is a really straightforward sort of simple one. Like, you know, we've just seen, sorry, I, I know this just sounds like I'm just talking ourselves up, but um like it, it's just so encouraging to see a few hundred people just really passionate about water and mm. change and development and throwing their weight behind it and getting it done. But I've also loved working with people in our mission communities to develop stuff and chat and um, come up with really great ideas and strengthen their, their ministries and their own leadership and stuff. And yeah, I, I love, I, I, all of that comes to mind because I feel like I've been in that space mm. uh, that Tim is in and um, have been been in that same tension of, you know, there's lots of ways that I could do it myself, 
but actually I want it right now. I mm. want to spend some time investing in making sure that other people can do it with us. Mm. Other people are as, as equipped and have the same kind of opportunities to step into those spaces as I have had. Mm. Mm. Totally. Um, yeah. Um, and even in that, though, there's something beautiful walking alongside people mm. as they explore and fl- like flourish into whatever their space is as you release them or mm. send them mm. or whatever it is when you see that actually happening. Um, yeah. Not to make it all about the self, but just seeing people come no, into what their no, but- what their sweet spot is in that mm. time in that season can be is so yeah, beautiful that, that and that's what that, it should be all that about. experience of watching it is yeah. not what it's all about but but it is it's a lovely um it's a lovely little it side side effects yeah 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 <laughs> so the for the rest of this for the rest of this chapter um there's quite a bit of discussion around or, or the thing that really stood out to me from the rest of this mm. chapter perhaps um was the emphasis on um you know well we're we're sharing um uh, we're sharing the stories of Jesus we're sharing the good news of what God has been doing in our lives with um our muslim neighbors and our muslim friends and for the the people that um choose to respond to that there can be quite and this and this goes across cultural groups and um families and mm. um people everywhere but when there's a significant change of outlook or a significant change of faith or um uh philosophical commitments or anything like that it can often lead to a rupture in existing support networks in existing communities um faith those of us in faith communities can maybe see some of that a little bit more directly sometimes where you know i am no longer christian i am something else means I disengage from church or vice versa. I am no longer Muslim. I am becoming Christian. It's a disengagement from those existing um, family structures, faith structures, church structures, uh, or mosque structures, as the case may be. Um, That can be really hard. That can be really, really hard for people. Like, Mm. I don't know if you know this about people, Emily, but uh, we we tend to need support. Yeah. Yeah. We are communal (laughs) creatures. We are communal creatures, and we need though we need people around us. Um, mm. Not don't I don't necessarily mean at every moment of every day, although as a raging um, introvert, <laughs> yeah, that's not me. But you know, we are we are designed to be in community, and we need to be in community to really flourish. Mm. Um, what that looks like going to be different for everyone. But um, when people make a step of faith, that can mean stepping away from a lot of the things that have held them and loved them and helped them flourish uh, for their entire lives sometimes Mm. up until that point. And that can be really um, disconnecting and disorienting for people. Mm. One of the things I loved about this, the latter half of this chapter is it really emphasized, well, if we're going to be out here doing this work of, um, you know, offering up this opportunity to explore more about Jesus and that, in places where that might have some of these consequences, we have to be there to step up and provide a new alternative, a new community. Mm. Um, What did you think about this part of the chapter? I think that's absolutely correct and really helpful because as we know, I think as we've probably spoken about many times, I feel like um, faith isn't meant to be done in isolation. Um, While, while there is a, individual relationship with Jesus and through the Holy a Spirit, personal, yeah. a personal relationship. Yeah. It's not created to be the yeah, only me. thing, the only part of that. Mm. Um, we're communal creatures. We're made to be in community mm. Um, mm. and, you know, community that is healthy and thriving and just helpful to our development. Um, and so it's sort of, bridges a gap of taking it the next step I think as well so rather than just leaving at a a one-to-one discipleship relationship or um, Mm. maybe just rocking up to church but not really knowing anyone or anything like that 
Um, mm. It brings it to this place of, you know, it's actually valuable and important that we connect together in a mm. context that is, yeah, that there's a unifying aspect even when we're all different. Um, you know, one of our favourite passages is um, Corinthians chapter 12, um, mm. the unity in the body and unity and diversity and all mm. of that. So, you know, yeah. everything, yeah. everyone has a different part to play, but everything is just as important and that when the body is working in healthy, like, um, mm beautiful things happen but that's even in bringing people in when the body is doing that and is expressing that and doing yeah it becomes something that's not like not just about the faith aspect but not not more or not less than the faith aspect but part of that that Mm, is mm, really mm. beautiful and maybe something that people hunger for if they don't have that experience mm. in a in a time or as they're exploring what it means mm. and finding that space where it's safe and healthy to explore um mm. faith in a meaningful way mm. Mm. and it it makes me think about what discipleship is um in all sorts of interesting ways like i think it, we can very um easily fall into the the, the mistake of thinking that disciple you know oh well discipleship is when we read the bible together and when we you know we meet up for coffee and we go through the next chapter of the book and i ask you what do, what stood out to you that's great and reading the bible together is fabulous i mean that's that reading mm. texts and unpacking them together is why we're doing this podcast. Yeah, like yeah. We, we think it's pretty but great. But it's the next step. Um, who are you going to tell them what are you going to do Bible, out of it is the hard But even, even beyond that and is in being in community together mm. over long, long periods of time. Does, um, discipleship in taking, taking Jesus example, as we uh, always try to do as little Christ, as Christians, um, you know, we're, we're talking about a period of, three years or so um, where the disciples followed Jesus and were with him every day and lived with him and ate with him and cooked with him and traveled with him and argued with him and did the shopping with him. And, you know, all of these things like there, there's such a deep enmeshing of life. I'm trying to put my fingers together. and I don't know where I can do it because of cameras and <laughs> microphones and everything. There's deep enmeshing of life in that experience um, where the disciples had the opportunity to learn from Jesus in every moment of every day. And I think about how often we do get to do that sort of that passive, pa- passive in quotation marks, discipleship mm. in our churches, in our homes, you know, how often have you been over to someone's house and sort of you just watch how they interact with their family, watch how they interact with the other people mm. and going, you know what, that's, that's the kind of person I want to mm. be. Um, or, you know, you have a conversation over meal prep. Um, it just goes, yeah, that's, that's such a good idea. That's such a mm. profound insight that um, I didn't have the opportunity to think about by myself and the other person's mm. just like, giving you their opinion about the latest Taylor Swift album. Like, you know, nothing. Th- <laughs> that came out since we last spoke to each other as well, didn't it? That actually, yeah. yeah. That actually, actually I, want to change, I want to change my bright spot. <laughs> <laughs> Can't say I've actually listened to it all yet, but I feel like that'll be my I drive down properly. to um, Wollongong. Yeah, yeah. And she's never going to top um, Folklore and Evermore, in my opinion. Um, <laughs> <laughs> but you know, those, those opportunities, those things are discipleship mm. as well. Um, and, and I think as well, think like there's discipleship, really... especially when you're doing it in a peer way, it's as much accepting the discipleship as much as being the discipler. Mm. Um, mm. So it's like, you know, like, for example, like I moved house, right. And I had yeah. a friend who goes, Oh, can I cook you a meal? And my gut response is like, Oh, like I, I can do my, like, that's fine because you know, I've yeah, got less yeah. to worry about, blah, blah, blah. Like you've got kids and blah, 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 yeah. all the things. But then yeah, I was like, actually, yeah. no, that would actually be helpful. And no, this is part of yeah. being in community. Because, you know, many times I've, yeah. it's gone both ways, like goes both ways, right? So yeah. it's also yeah. like, no, actually accept the support 
as much as giving the support too. And that was for me yeah. like a conscious yeah. choice of 100%. going, no, actually do that because that's part of who we are and what we do and yeah. being in relationships and, yeah, yeah, all of that. Yeah, yeah. And I think being ready to, which is one of the key things in this final, in this chapter that we're, um, I think, about to wrap up on, but like being ready to open our homes to one another and being ready to be in each other's homes mm. within boundaries and, you know, don't, whatever works for you. I'm not, I'm not saying everyone just leave it, um, leave a key under the welcome mat and uh, stock the fridge up with Coke and I'll be through on Thursday. Like, <laughs> I mean, you know more what than I mean. welcome. <laughs> yeah. And, uh, and, uh, and that's the thing. That's the thing. Um, <laughs> but then also know, there's a point where you we, go, well, you know, we actually know each other and all that stuff as well. It's like the, the safe places where you this do that. Is, like, yeah, exactly. Exactly. <laughs> but, you know, being willing to open up our lives mm. to one another is, is a really key part of how we de- decide. Yeah. <laughs> it's part of how we disciple each other and how we are discipled. Um, and that, that sounds uh, like that sentence now sounds like um, we've got a lesson plan with each for each other. And like Emily, I spend my my weeks thinking about the the twelve spiritual truths that I just really need you to understand by the end of the next uh, uh, next year. Nothing like that, but just what's the what's the proverb? Iron sharpens iron, mm. kind of thing. You know, just by being around each other, this. <sighs> I don't, I don't like the idea of passive discipleship, but I also don't love the idea of active discipleship because I don't discipleship think either is of those. both. It's active and yeah. it just it gets to the point where you're just doing it because it becomes almost second nature yeah. to a point. I feel like yeah, yeah, it's doing life together. Yeah. It's doing life together, which is both yeah. active and Another passive. Christianism. Sometimes you got to choose to do yeah. it. Sometimes it's work and you got to choose to do it, but then other times it's like that's what it comfort is. Comfort and easy yeah. and all of that as much as yeah 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 but sometimes you still got to choose to do it yeah that's great that's great i love it in that space of being wherever we are um Mm. what are we going to do next about it mitch or what does naomi leave us with because i feel like this is a pretty we're going to just read this whole little section because it's just beautiful (laughs) and who doesn't love a good c.s lewis like moment um i feel like we're conditioned to love well, c.s lewis, lewis doesn't in from the hundred percent is that fair is that a fair statement? and for good reason and for good like i mean i never read the books no, I think it's a- but like also the movies were just peak of my child like right at the right time in my childhood where it was like oh early to mid primary school and it was just the greatest Let's let's finish off let's finish off our discussion with uh, chapter eleven. The days left for me. Naomi's reflections on the whole uh, the whole book that we've just read. I didn't tell you about one last thing I found while walking the back streets in Headington with Rachel. It was appropriately at the same moment that I started to acknowledge the uniqueness of interserve partners and the appeal of God's mission today, and to specifically ask questions about my own part in it and whether that involved something new. So there I was asking all these questions when we happened to arrive at the end of a quiet cul-de-sac. We stopped in front of a red brick house with flowers in the front garden and a white rim around the windows. It was a very pretty house, but you may not have looked twice if you hadn't known. This is where C.S. Lewis lived for 30 years and wrote the Narnia series, said Rachel. I was immediately utterly fascinated. Sorry, I was immediately utterly distracted from Rachel's story and the possibilities in Nepal desperate to see inside. A man came out and invited us in. I almost tiptoed. I sat down at the desk where C.S. Lewis typed. I leant on my elbows and looked out the windows and was sure I could see fawns and dancing trees and beavers in the woods behind his house. Then I got up and walked past his his black typewriter and we both went back outside and wandered through the woods. All the way, we talked about this man who had influenced Christian thought in the 20th century more than any other. After the woods, we walked down a few more back streets and passed the church where his gravestone stood. It was simple and unadorned and hardly noticeable. C.S. Lewis had gone. He'd finished his work. In that moment, I realized what it was that characterized interserve partners and their service. C.S. Lewis had it too, in a different way, 
as he sat at his desk for 30 years and typed. And you and I can have it too, at our desks, in our streets, at our workplace, and at the hospital. It was an utter commitment to keep going, to keep honouring God with the gifts God has given them, regardless of location or visa problems or out of fruitfulness or political strife or times of emptiness. The InterServe partners kept their vision. They developed their language skills. They prayed. They were part of the community and they worked sensitively with the nationals. They went out young and had a lifetime in mind. They didn't expect reward or acknowledgement. They merely wanted to serve and keep serving. They were overwhelmed by the grace and mercy of God in their own lives, and they knew that nothing could separate them from his presence or his goodness, not even AK-47 fire or rebel attacks in the jungle or a million troops lined up on the border. They trusted God's sovereignty, even when the men were barging through the door or the phone call held news of tragedy and they had no more strength to get out of bed. God was still God. He still loved them and he was still worthy of praise. It was exactly what I needed to learn and know deeply in my emptiness and in my questions. God is never harsh with us. He gently guides and leads. He knows what will happen when the visa is refused and he puts us where he wants us. He loves his people and he has plans for us, even when the lights are dim and our strength is gone. Perhaps the more cracked we are, the more broken, and the more we weep, the more his light shines through us. For me, I may not be like Luke and be able to run weekly seminars for my dental staff, teaching God's truths in a foreign country. I may not be like Elaine and able to learn two new Tibetan languages at the age of 50. I may not be like Margaret and able to feed thousands of homeless who sleep in manholes. I may not be like Scott and be able to become the largest exporter of pots in his country. I may not be like John and be able to record hundreds of gospel songs in Urdu for thousands of people to listen to and respond to. But I am encouraged because God is at work. Amongst the homeless, the unreached, the Tibetan Buddhists, the children, the immigrants in Oxford, the Bondo tribal villages, Malkangiri, the Hindu dancers in the Sindh, the university students in Vietnam, the war victims in Afghanistan, the producers of pots in North Africa, the people in my street. He causes the plum tree to grow and bear fruit, even in the desert. He is at work, and our prayers are being answered every day, whether we can see it or not. He loves them. And one day Jesus will return. He will make all things new. He will wipe away every tear from our eyes. He will gently unfold every clenched fist, even mine. He will do all these things, as he has promised. In the meantime, he calls each of us to keep praying, to keep giving, to keep going, to keep loving and to keep being part of his work until he comes again, because we've been loved. Mm. After my time in Oxford, I caught a bus back to Victoria and a, train to or- and a train to Orpington. And then the next week, I caught a plane home to Australia. Along the way, I watched two movies, and I ate butter chicken and pulled out my journal again, and I wrote a very long paragraph just for myself with my purple pen. I called it, How I Will Live, The Days Left For Me. And that's where we're going to leave the plum tree in the desert. So, Emily, final reflections on this book. What stood out to you from the book as a whole? I really appreciated the diversity of stories and experiences um, of the InterServe missionaries um, and Naomi's thoughtful and generous telling of their stories. Mm. Mm. I really, I don't know, I think even though these were all stories of people who have done work overseas in different capacities and different things like that, the heart of all the stories is this is just where we have been and been put. So it also then invites us as readers, as people who have engaged with these stories to do the same thing, whether that's mm. what in whatever way that looks like for us, I think. so. You know, just with mm. the things you've got in your hand, where's God leading you to mm. be now? Um, and it doesn't always feel grand and that's okay. Mm. And even if you're – and it's going to hurt sometimes and it's going to be confusing and all of that, but it's still God, – God can do things with stuff that we don't even know he can do. Yeah. It can take time. Yeah. Yeah. 
hundred percent. Yeah. I think for me, um, I think overall, I don't think I was expecting to like this book as much as I did. Um, I think we came off the back of when helping hurts, which is a very heady, very academic yeah. book, which is kind of the, the space that I like to inhabit yep. when I'm reading books. Um, but I found a lot, um, a lot more of that than I expected to find in this book. I found a lot of stuff that is, you know, really tangible lessons mm. and things to chew over and wrestle with, um, you know, challenges and things to, to disagree with and butt up against, but also so much stuff like, okay, that is just really good wisdom to take and apply. Mm. And, um, and then, yeah, as you said, just like all of it within the context of just these beautifully held, wonderfully told mm. stories. Mm. Um, but yeah, yeah, I think it was just, it was a really great book. Um, really enjoyed my time with it. And, um, yeah, if you've if you've been listening along and you think, oh, now's the time to check it out. If you you haven't been reading along already, it's an easy one to grab. Too um, wrong anyway. So Emily, do you want to take us out with a benediction? I absolutely would love to do that. So we pray that we may live justly, love tenderly, and walk humbly. Amen. Amen. So that marks the uh, the end of this particular book. So as is our uh, custom with Reading Mission, we're now going to take a bit of a break for a few weeks, and that kind of lands us right at the start of Christmas season. Instead of jumping into a whole other book series, we're going to do something a little bit different. This is going to be quite fun. Uh, we are going to have... And very is, stylistically I'm, different, I'm really so we'll see how we go, but I feel like we'll be fine. Exactly. It'll be a bit different. We're going to have on uh, December 6th, we're going to have a reading mission Christmas special where I am going to tell Emily all about St. Nicholas of Mira, the saint who would become kind of that's complicated. We'll talk about that. <laughs> Santa Claus. <laughs> oh, I can't wait. So the 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 real life uh, saint who lived and died in the the Mediterranean in around three hundred uh, years after Jesus. Um, we're going to unpack a bit of his life. We're going to hear some of the key stories. We're going to be working primarily from a book called "The Saint Who Would Be Santa Claus" by Adam C. English, uh, but. It's going to be less of a read-through and more just using that as our primary uh, resource as we just sort of chat through the life and uh, activities of St. Nick, uh, which I'm really excited about. I've read this book before, so I'm rereading it now, trying to pull things together. And it's just, it's really interesting and really mm. a lot of fun. It'll be a different format. It'll be a lot more of me just sort of telling Emily about stuff that she may or may not know when we start. Um, but there will still definitely be a bunch of stuff that we'll unpack yeah. around mission. Being the curious stuff. child that I am, I'm like, oh, I want to go find some reading because I'm sh I'm pretty sure I'm, there's probably some no, stuff in my house about going that. cold. But I know I need to go in blind, <laughs> otherwise it won't work. Um, so yes, I'll go in blind, but I'm sure I'll end up doing reading later because that is absolutely my vibe, uh, out of interest, out and curiosity. <laughs> So that's on Tuesday, December 6th in the Embody Discord if you want to join in live. Uh, all the links are in the show notes. The information will be up in the events tab of the Discord uh, by the time this episode hits the podcast feed. Um, and completely by coincidence, we didn't actually plan this at the time, but that date, December 6th, is the Feast of St. Nicholas. So... Things. Well, thanks for joining us tonight on Reading Mission. We look forward to you joining us on December 6th for the Reading Mission Christmas special. We'll see you then. See you then. Thanks for listening to Reading Mission, a podcast by Embody. 
If you enjoyed this conversation, please rate and review so more people can find us. And make sure you subscribe so you never miss an episode. Every episode of Reading Mission is recorded live in our Discord server. So if you ever want to join in the live discussion and connect with other people exploring mission, justice and social change together, head to embody.org.au forward slash discord to join in. Embody is a national community of young people passionate about mission locally, nationally and globally. You can find us on Instagram and Facebook at EmbodyAU and visit our website at embody.org.au. All the links are in the show notes. Embody is part of the Global Mission Partners family. We respectfully acknowledge the traditional owners of the lands and waters of Australia and pay respects to elders past and present. We recognise their continuing connection to land, water and culture. Music in the show is by Josh Woodward and we'll catch you next time and thanks heaps for listening to Reading Mission.